You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. But now the main event, the Word of God's going to be read and we're going to have uh, Zach come to preach. We're starting our, our prayer series and so the first sermon is coming from the book of Daniel. I'm going to be reading from chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19. So turn there with me, follow along as we read from the Word of the Lord. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book's the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what, he has, what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favour of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because, of, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Well, 2022 is dead. Long live 2023. As ridiculous as that statement sounds, I think it's often how we do approach our new years or our new seasons. Often as we, as we think about the new year coming, we try to figure out what do we need? What do I need to add to my life or remove from my life? What do I need to engage in or disengage from? We often write these things out and sometimes we even bring them before God in prayer, asking that he'd give us the things that we think we need in order to have a successful year. I wonder what that's been for you the last few days. Maybe weight loss, a classic. Maybe a commitment to a new diet, to a new routine or a new attitude to life. Maybe this year is the year you're finally going to read all of the Bible with that app you've had on your phone for the last six months that you've not used. Now, these are good and right things. And I hope you have some New Year resolutions. I hope you feel a renewed attitude towards accomplishing some goals. I hope that you have new energy, new zeal to go about achieving what you think you need for this year. But I also want to remind us that we rarely know what we really need. Most of the time, our felt needs are the things that the culture around us has convinced us we need. Even in the church, this is a temptation. Looking at 2023, it's tempting to be convinced that things like finances and mission and community and discipleship should be the priority that we go after. But I'm thankful to God that we are kicking off this year by starting with this series on prayer because God's word makes it clear that more than any of these felt needs, what we really need, what we truly need is a deeper and more abiding knowledge of God. A theologian, Don Carson, he writes, so much of our religion is packaged to address our felt needs. And these are almost uniformly anchored in our pursuit of happiness and fulfillment without rightly understanding where true happiness and fulfillment lie. God becomes the great being who meets our needs and fulfills our aspirations. Knowing God is the joy of the Christian life. And a vital part of, the, of knowing God comes through prayer, spiritual, persistent, biblically formed prayer. Church, more than any other possible New Year's resolution, more than getting our bodies in shape, more than meeting Mr. or Mrs. Wright, more than getting that promotion, more than setting up our discipleship pathways or leadership structures, more than organising mission and evangelism, more than ensuring that our Sunday services are vibrant and gospel-rich church, we need prayer. The early church fathers used to refer to prayer as the breath of the soul. It is as necessary for our souls as breathing air is for our bodies. However, like everything in the Christian life, we need to be approaching prayer from the right direction. Unfortunately, prayer has become yet another Christian and sometimes non-Christian consumer product. There are books all over the place with new and improved techniques for praying, for developing a prayer life or a, a spiritual discipline. Now, these are not all bad or unhelpful, 
but often they don't approach prayer from where all other aspects of the Christian life should be approached, which is the gospel. I know that I often feel guilty any time there is a sermon or devotional regarding prayer. I don't think I've ever sat through one of these talks or sermons and not come away feeling ashamed and like I've got a lot of work to do. Hearing stories of old-time saints who would pray for no less than two hours a day, guys like Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon, and we so often come to the topic of prayer and we instantly feel out of our depth and we quickly decide that it's too much to try and get on top of. So, what is prayer? Well, to answer this, we're going to be looking at Daniel 9. A bit of context first, Daniel is an Israelite who was exiled to Babylon and was chosen to become a servant of the king. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 tells us that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, and along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Abednego for the Bogans, none was found like Daniel and these friends, and so they were chosen to stand before the king and offer him wisdom and understanding for any matter that the king asked of them. And so today we're going to look to Daniel's prayer to help us understand what prayer is and why it's so important for our Christian lives. The Puritan pastor John Bunyan, he defines prayer in a helpful way. He says, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. And we don't have time today to completely break down that definition or preach through Daniel 9 in a comprehensive way, but we can look to this prayer of Daniel's to get a a theology of prayer or a a biblical understanding of what prayer is, why we can pray and who it is we are praying to. I think Bunyan's definition of prayer can be seen here in how Daniel is praying in chapter 9. And so this morning I've got three main points about prayer that I want us to walk away with today. Is that prayer must be shaped by who God is, what God has said and what God wills. So point number one, who God is. As I mentioned earlier, like anything in the Christian life, unless we approach it through the gospel, we are going to approach it in an unhealthy way. If you've got your Bibles, when you open them to Daniel chapter 9, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you with one. Uh, You can go and see our welcome team after the service. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands and we'd also love to help you read it. So make sure you connect with us um, about that as well. Daniel 9, uh, and just reading verse 4, it says that, that Daniel says that he prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel acknowledges that God is the one who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Now, covenant is an old word that we don't have much exposure to uh, much more today, but um, it's an incredibly important word in the Bible, and it defines the relationship between God the Creator and humanity, His creation. 
A covenant is similar to a contract, but it is much more than that. A Christian marriage is a good example of a covenant. A man and a woman make promises to one another and they bind themselves together and to God for life. Eleven years ago, Hannah and I made vows to one another before God, family and friends. Yeah, I realise I'm the good-looking one in that photo. (laughs) And while Hannah and I were serious about the covenant that we'd made together, uh, and though we're still trying to do that, and through God's grace we're trying to do it to honour those vows and the covenant we made to one another, the truth is we often fail in how we keep those vows to each other. But the beautiful truth of God is that he never falls short of his covenant promises to his people. Theologian Mark Jones says, In divine covenants, God sovereignly establishes the relationship with his creatures. There are other nuances, but a divine covenant given after the fall is fundamentally one in which God binds himself by his own oath to keep his promises. The way in which Daniel begins this prayer in chapter 9 reveals his knowledge of God's covenant and his dependence upon God's covenant faithfulness. When you and I come before our God in prayer, we need to realize that we are not entitled to this privilege. There is nothing about you or I that gives us the position of being able to even speak to God. It is only because of God's faithfulness, his steadfast love and his promises and covenant keeping that you and I can come before him. It's only by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises that we can come to pray to our heavenly father. God has kept his promise by sending Jesus to bless all the nations, to redeem all those who he has chosen before the foundations of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him in love, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Daniel, beginning his prayer like this is integral for our learning today. Church, we are not owed anything by God. He does not owe us his listening ear. He does not owe us the answering of our prayers, he owes us nothing. But God alone is the faithful one. You and I have continuously broken our promises to God, broken our commitments to him, but he has never failed us. God has never broken his promises to us. He is always and will always be the faithful covenant-keeping God, and this is why we can come before him in prayer. When we look at Daniel, when we look at the posture of those praying right throughout the scriptures, there is always a recognition that the only reason we can come before the Father of mercy in prayer is because God first loved us. He redeemed us through Jesus Christ and he gave us sonship, family belonging in himself. Graham Goldsworthy says that the basis of true prayer is the sonship of Jesus, which we share in union with him. 
God has graciously brought us into his family, gifted us sonship, which isn't a a gendered word, but it means that he has made us, both men and women, he has made us his heirs, his children with the entire inheritance that Christ has as the firstborn son given to us by God's sheer mercy. His sheer mercy is shown to us, and Grant so wonderfully articulated this earlier, that even while we were still enemies of God because of our sin and rebellion, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live perfectly according to God's ways, to die on the cross the death that we deserve for our sin and rebellion, and raised him to life three days later, triumphant over the power of sin and death. And so no wonder Daniel is so destitute throughout this prayer. Because when we realize just how faithful God is, just how kind and gracious he is towards those who have rebelled against him, it should break our hearts into pieces with no other option but to fall before our holy God and plead his mercy that we do not deserve. Church, knowing who God is, knowing that he is the one who even makes it possible for us to come before him in prayer should drastically transform the way that we pray. I think there are two main dangers, two cliffs we can fall off when it comes to prayer. In the first instance, it's pretty common these days in our consumerist society where everything is at our fingertips, where businesses are competing to satisfy our ever-increasing greed for more. Uh, It's easy to slip into treating God like our personal genie. Like we can come to him, throw out our requests almost like they are commands and then expect that he'll just do what we ask. Maybe we don't do this bluntly. Maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, I've never had that approach to prayer. But it's worth searching our hearts in this. Maybe our prayers to God contain the right words, but what is happening in our hearts when we pray? Do we expect that God will do what we say? Or do we understand our position before him as one of grace and mercy, and even our very ability to pray to him is by his grace and mercy, and bring our requests before him and acknowledge that it's even a gift from him to do so. I know I fall into this trap often, especially around money or finances. I think of Jesus' words in Matthew 6 when he tells his audience to consider the sparrow and how God looks after them, so how much more will he look after you and I? I know how to pray the right words. Father, give us today our daily bread. But often in my heart, I expect God to be my genie that he'll answer my prayer in the way that I think he should according to my will and not according to his. And we'll talk about that a bit more soon. The second danger is to place the weight of God hearing and answering our prayers upon our capacity for faith or our, our strength or the size of our faith. I'm sure you've heard it before, the lie that God didn't answer your prayer because you lacked faith. Maybe your body wasn't healed. 
how you, were, how you asked. Maybe that relationship didn't mend. Maybe that friend or family member or maybe even child of yours um, hasn't come to trust in Jesus. And you're either told by someone else or it's that little voice speaking into your mind that says it's all because you didn't have enough faith. Graham Goldsworthy also says this. He says, faith seems to be conceived of as something we squeeze out of ourselves like toothpaste out of a tube. Even in more traditional evangelical circles, it seems that the popular view of prayer is a process that largely begins with us. Church, if you've ever been told that lie by a friend or maybe even heard it by a preacher or read it in a book, I want to encourage you to let go of that falsehood. If you haven't been healed from a disease or injury, if those relationships haven't been mended, if your financial situation is still difficult, if that unbelieving child you've been praying for still hasn't chosen Jesus, it's not because you didn't have enough faith. The only faith that you and I are required to have is is enough faith to ask God. The only faith we're required to have is the faith to pray the prayers. The answer to those prayers now sits completely in the hands of God, who is what He, who, sorry, completely in the hands of who God is, what He says, and what He wills. Alongside this, the more that we come to know that God is our Heavenly Father, the more we become convinced of His amazing, this amazing reality and more confident we become as we know Him, know His Word and understand His will for our lives. Um, has, having kids has drastically changed my approach to prayer. When my five-year-old boy Sonny comes into my room in the middle of the night and wakes me from my very, very much needed beauty sleep to ask if he can get his drink bottle or if I can put his blanket on or whatever else it might be, he doesn't have the slightest hesitation in doing so because he in his very core is completely confident that I will hear him and answer him simply because he's my son and I love him. He knows who I am and who he is in relationship to me. This should be the posture before our Father in heaven. But we can only have this posture when, like Daniel, we know who God is and therefore who we are in relationship to God. Thinking about these Second and third points now, which I'll move through much quicker too. Prayer is shaped by what God has said. Daniel's prayer is made up mostly of confession and lament. Daniel has been reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah and the Holy Spirit has revealed to him how long Israel will face the righteous punishment of their rebellion against God. His soul is in anguish as the full weight of Israel's sin and rebellion against a good and holy God has weighed upon his heart and in that moment there is nothing else that he can do but turn to God and plead with him, he pours out his heart. God's word made up of God's law and the corresponding blessings and curses are coming to bear upon Daniel's heart as he is reading God's word. 
Daniel's lament and confession doesn't just come from his feelings or flow from some unknown source, but comes from knowing God's word, knowing that God is a just and holy God and realizing the state of Israel's misery. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is a, an historic summary of the Christian faith, sort of put together in an question-answer format, it says about prayer, it's, it asks, how does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? And it answers in three ways. First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything that he has commanded of us to ask him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. And third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. As Bunyan helpfully said for us earlier, prayer is according to God's word. We learn how to pray by looking to God's word for what to pray. Throughout this prayer from Daniel, we see how he is shaped and formed by God's word. There are no less than 15 references just in these verses to God's own word, God's law, uh, God's voice, or that God spoke through his servants and prophets. As Daniel is reading God's word and pondering Israel's plight in exile, the truth of God's um, good character and and his faithfulness is renewed in Daniel's heart. The treason of Israel's rebellion against this good God causes him great despair and the comfort of God's covenant promises then arrests his heart as is obvious in verse 18b, where he says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. If you're anything like me, now there are often times where we simply don't know the words to pray. Or we don't, maybe don't have the energy or the, the motivation to pray. We live in a world that values productivity and efficiency. And when we're honest with ourselves, prayer just doesn't seem to meet that criteria. But be encouraged today, church, that there is nothing more productive, there is nothing more effective or efficient for our lives than to learn how to come before our good Father in heaven in prayer. If you struggle to think of the words to pray, be encouraged by these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.26. He says... Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, we, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God the Holy Spirit gives us the words we need. Sometimes that looks like words being formed in our minds and hearts for the things we need praying for, but most of the time, these words just come straight from Scripture. I'd encourage you, if you don't know the right words to pray to God, open up a psalm and just pray that psalm. Uh, You can change the pronouns, you can singularize the plurals and try to personalize it like that, but just open up God's word and start praying it. Or you can grab other resources like the Puritan collection of prayers called the Valley of Vision, um, or you can 
grab like the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which would be appropriate. Um, but these gospel-rich resources help to shape our words for prayers. And it fills our minds and our hearts with God's word. And it fills our minds with scripture, with, sorry, with uh, the gospel. But ultimately, it fills our minds and our hearts with God's glory. Which leads us to our last point this morning. Prayer is to be shaped by what God wills. Now, I realize that this last point will not receive the attention it deserves today. But my prayer is that as we consider what it means to pray according to God's will, that questions are coming to our minds and we can write them down. We can let them be God-glorifying content for God-glorifying conversations. Ultimately, the will of God, as Scripture makes clear, is that God would be glorified. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, probably um, the most famous um, of its question and answers, helps us to see this. It asks, what is the chief end of mankind? Or what is the primary purpose of human beings? And it answers, it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Listen to how Daniel's prayer finishes with pleas to God for the sake of his own name, for the sake of God's glory. I'm going to read Daniel 9, verse 16 to 19. Daniel prays this, O Lord, according to your own righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Daniel is worried about God's reputation as a glorious God because of the sin of Israel. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and make for, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God because your city and your people are called by your name. The theologian Dale Ralph Davis says, Daniel teaches us then that Yahweh's reputation should be the driving concern of our prayers. Our petitions should be sprinkled with the incense of pleading his honour. For example... What honour it will bring you, Lord, if that son of mine is converted? What praise will come to Christ if this marriage is renewed? What credit to Jesus' name if that saint can walk through this hard trouble, growing stronger and sweeter in faith? Daniel's prayer is in alignment and shaped by God's revealed plan. The whole point of Israel's exile in Babylon was to draw God's people back to repentance, back to loving and serving God alone and not loving or serving other gods. And this too should be the driving concerns of our prayer. That our souls, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our relationships, our midweek concerns, our everything being for the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. I'm sure this causes questions like, 
But what kind of job should I do? Or should I marry? Or who should I marry? Or where should I live? Etc. All of these are important concerns and hopefully today sparks questions about all of that. For when the glory of God is genuinely the driving force behind our prayers, church, we can be comforted by the truth stated in 1 John 5.14, which says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our prayers are to be shaped and formed as we understand God's will, most importantly, God's will for the redemption of his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. As the band comes this morning, church, this is why City on a Hill Brisbane exists. Our mission has been said already a few times this morning is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our prayers, therefore, for our nation, our city, for the people of Japan, for our 321 friends, for family, for that neighbor, for that client or colleague, are formed and shaped by the reality that God will be glorified. And He has invited us in to be a part of this great story of His name being made known. Church, during these songs we're about to sing together, myself and Alexandra and Mike will be standing in the middle of the cinema and if there's anything that you need prayer for, can I encourage you, come and talk to us. We would love to take a moment and pray with you. For now, let's pray together and get ready to sing. Heavenly Father, all glory be to you. Father, I ask that as we start this new year, may our desire to know you be our priority. May your word shape us and form us only to pray what is according to your will, that you would be glorified in all that we do, say, and think. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.